And please turn in your New Testaments now to Mark's Gospel, chapter 11, verses 7 through 10. This is one of the four places that the triumphal entry of Jesus is recorded in the Bible. Mark 11, 7 through 10. And this is the Word of God. When they brought the cult to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. And many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches that they had cut in the fields. And those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Now I want to ask you a question to get us started in this, to kind of help you understand the, just the sheer power and, and the magnitude of Palm Sunday. Um, so, so you're at a funeral across the street at Wright Ferguson, okay? And uh, you're at this funeral and the pastor, there's the coffin. We'll pretend like the, your, your piano, Becky's the coffin. The coffin is uh, right there. And uh, the pastor, you know, commits the, the body to the earth, and the pastor has the benediction. Everything's going like it kind of normally goes at a funeral. And then suddenly, a guy walks from behind the crowd very quietly. He walks up to the, co- the coffin, and he says, John, come out. Now, what do you think? That's the question. What do you think? You're thinking there is not enough security at these graveside funerals. But what do you think? If he says, John, come out, and John opens the lid from the inside, and John gets out, and and John looks at everybody, and everybody looks at John, now what are you thinking? Okay, and here's my last question. You going to tell anybody? Yeah, you're going to call the clarion ledger immediately. You're going to Twitter and tweet and, and bleep or whatever you do, everybody in Christendom, you know? That, that this guy rose from the dead at a funeral. Look, that's what happened. A few days before Jesus came down from Bethany into Jerusalem in what we call Palm Sunday or his triumphal entry, he walked over to a grave and he said, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus, who had been dead for three days, walked out of the tomb got all this grave stuff. You know, it's just crazy. And his sisters who have been in such grief, Mary and Martha, and you can just imagine the scene there. Do you think anyone that witnessed that, because it was in this extended kind of funeral, a lot more extended than we do, and lot, all kind of mourners around, do you think anybody might have said anything about that? Oh, yeah, the informa- it just exploded with information in Bethany. That information raced down in Jeru- into Jerusalem just at the time that all these Jews from all over the world had come to celebrate the feast of the Passover, the most important feast in the, in the nation of Israel. And so, you know, the information is just, it's just rippling through this capital city and... Um, the book of John tells us in John 12, 12 through 18, that when Jesus came down into Jerusalem, so he's coming down from the Mount of Olives. He came from Bethany to a place called Bethpage that we don't even know where it is anymore. That's where the donkey that, that Jesus said, go get the donkey, that's where the donkey was procured. But now they're coming down the Mount of Olives. All right, John says there's a group of people 
coming with Jesus from the Mount of Olives. That's the Bethany group. That's the kind of, wow, this is amazing Bethany group. John tells us that there is a group of people coming up from Jerusalem. They come out of the, the east gate of the city of Jerusalem, and they're coming up. And it is, it's, it's probably at that precise moment when they meet somewhere on the Mount of Olives that there is this fusion of praise and energy and pandemonium just breaks out on the Mount of Olives, and um, they're, they're, they're screaming. And they're screaming these words. You know, we read these words. They're, they're words a lot of us have heard for a long time. These words are freighted with meaning for a, a Jew who is living in Jerusalem at this time. Hosanna. They scream, Hosanna. Hosanna means save now or deliver us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is a, a, a from the Psalms. It is a messianic type thing. It's about the Messiah, the, the one who would come in the name of the Lord. And then look at this. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. You know, this isn't just saying Savior. This is saying the Messiah will bring an unstoppable kingdom that will last forever. And that kingdom's coming now. That kingdom's coming down the Mount of Olives toward Jerusalem. And then the final one, I'm kind of putting a together from the four Gospels, what they said. The final one is this. Listen carefully. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus, you are now going to be the King of Israel. We want you to reign on Herod's throne. We want you to lead us in worship in God's holy temple along with the priests. D.A. Carson says, Jesus rode into Jerusalem just as David or Solomon would have entered the capital with branches and clothes spread on the road before him. And I, I love this picture. He says today's equivalent, it, it's like a red carpet um, at an airport today. You know, when a, when a head of state comes and, and lands at the airport, there's this red carpet to, to indicate the, the authority of that person. I mean, basically, they have rolled a red carpet from the Mount of Olives all the way down into Jerusalem for Jesus on this donkey to come down, and they are yelling, and they are screaming. Uh, D.A. Carson, you gives one more word picture. He says, or, the, or, or, or palm and, and banana leaves at a village festival in the third world. Maybe you've seen some of those pictures, you know, where they put the banana leaves. It's like a carpet of banana leaves because of the important person is coming forward. They shouted, Messiah. They shouted, King. And let me tell you, they had big plans for their king. Because these shouts aren't just of a, of a kind of messianic nature. You know, we think of Jesus, we think of the cross, we think, oh yeah, Messiah dies on the cross for our sins. That wasn't what they were thinking. They were thinking, expel the Romans from our country. The Romans had conquered Israel. The Romans were occupying Jerusalem. They were under the oppression of Rome. Now, you know, we say, oh, yeah, okay, you know, uh, you know, throw off the Romans. That's something we say too fast, too. Throw off the Romans? The Romans are the undisputed and only superpower in the world at that time, nobody throws off the Romans, at least at the time when Jesus 
was walking on the earth. And, and there would be these people that would, would appear, you know, right at the feast of Passover. So there would be maximum exposure. There would be these so- so-called saviors. Romans, we hear about it? Squash. I mean, like a bug on the sidewalk. Squash. It's over. So how much confidence did these people coming down from from Bethany and then from the Mount of Olives and coming up from, how much confidence did they have in Jesus to actually say, you're the superpower. The Romans can't conquer death. Now we get it. Oh, yeah, you stop the wind and and the waves. Oh, yeah, you feed 5,000 men and women plus children. Oh, yeah, you have power over the demons and all these things. You're the superpower. We believe that this can happen. And so Palm Sunday is, is just a, an enormous confidence in Jesus. You know, the Romans were the oppressors of the Jews at that time. But about 150 years earlier, it was not the Romans who were occupying Jerusalem. It was another foreign power. It was the Syrians. And the Syrians were, were much more brutal and meddling in, in trying to make non-Jewish, bring non-Jewishness to the Jews than the Romans ever did. You've heard of the uh, setting up the, uh, the I, I can't say this fast three times, abomination of desolation. There you go. Say that fast three times. Abomination of desolation in the temple. Well, let me tell you who set up the abomination of desolation in the temple. It was the Syrian ruler. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes. And he sacrificed a pig, not good, not Jewish, not kosher. He sacrificed a pig on the high altar in Jerusalem. That immediately triggered a revolt by the Jews. And there was a particular family, the Maccabees, uh, that led this revolt. And do you know what happened? They, the Syrians weren't the Romans. They kicked the Syrians out. They defeated the Maccabees and, and the, the gathering you know, uh, militia and volunteers. They, they just overwhelmed the Syrians. And so there was this triumphal entry about 115, 117 years before Jesus came down the Mount of Olives. There was the, the main general of the Israeli forces when they kicked out the Syrians. His name was Judas Maccabeus. And he's, and he's riding, coming down that same hill. Now he's on a big war stallion. You know, he's got all the symbols of power. Jesus is on a donkey, a symbol of peace. Do you know what they did when Judas Maccabeus came into town? They, they put their cloaks on the ground. Do you know what they were waving in the air when that guy came into town? They were waving palm branches. Do you know what they said? Take a guess. Hosanna! Deliverer! Save now! You see, this is the way they see Jesus. They see Jesus as a political, they see him as a, another Judas Maccabeus, even more powerful, who can throw the Romans out. In fact, I learned in our Wednesday night teaching, I had never learned this before, that um, after the Maccabees had kicked the Syrians out, and all that's associated with Hanukkah, by the way, uh, after that happened, the coinage of Israel actually had what became their national symbol of deliverance. Do you know what it was? Palm branch. So you, you, you see these palm branches waving 
Save us now. Deliver us now. You're the new king of Israel. Blessed is he. You're the Messiah. You're the superpower. Deliver us from Rome. Now, can you get a sense for the exuberance now? You know, liberal scholars say there was like a handful of people waving palm branches. They hadn't read John's gospel about the two groups and the groups that, that meet together. They, they don't understand about Judas Maccabeus and what was expected and the replay. Jesus' triumphal entry was simply a replay, if you will, of his. Can you, can you feel the volume and the waving of... In fact, I have one down here. There you go. Got a little wet. There it is. Waving this symbol. Deliver us. You know? Let... let, let Come and, and kick the Romans out. In fact, it's so loud, it's so boisterous that the Pharisees are utterly offended. You remember what the Pharisees, they came up to Jesus and they said, you tell your disciples to stop this right now. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus did for the first time in the triumphal entry something he had never done in his entire ministry. Jesus allowed his disciples to personally and publicly exalt him. Remember, Jesus would say, don't tell anyone about this. Jesus would go out to lonely places, and he'd go out by the, up in the Galilee and by, by the sea. Jesus is always almost suppressing the, the reality of his glory until the right time. Now, Jesus has, has just loosed it all because he wants the triumphal entry to be everything that was prophesied in the Old Testament about the Messiah, and uh, you know, he says to the Pharisees, let me tell you something. If they stopped shouting Hosanna, the rocks, the rocks would shout Hosanna. Palm Sunday. You remember the Rocky movies? Now some of you females are going, no. You need to watch those if you want to understand us. Uh, at least one, okay? Okay, the Rocky movies. In the Rocky movies, and I can think of in at least, I think there's like seven of them. <laughs> I have not seen all seven. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I just want you to know I have not seen all seven. Um, in the Rocky movies, you know Rocky, he's, he's like the comeback king. He's the washed up guy. But can you see the scene if you've seen the movie? If not, you're just going to have to go with me with this, okay? So he defeats the, the champion he's not supposed to defeat. And there he is, and the crowd starts chanting, I mean loudly, Rocky, Rocky, Rocky. And remember, if you see this, he's got his hands in the air. He's doing, doing the Rocky thing. And then they take him up on their shoulders, and he's still got his hands in the air. And it's so loud. And, and the, the cinematography at this moment, it, what happens is, is the volume and the picture, the volume begins to blur a little bit that you can't quite distinguish. It's louder and louder. And suddenly, it just, it's just pandemonium. And, he, and, then, and everything just stops with him just like this. I want you to do that with Palm Sunday in your mind for a minute. Jesus, Jesus, Hosanna, you're the Messiah, you're the King. And there he is, and it's loud, and it's, and it's intense, and just stop right there. You got that? You got that? Let's put that aside for a moment. And I'd like for you to turn to another place, to John chapter 13, verse 1. Because what I want to do is take you to another scene where Jesus 
will now actually define the nature of his kingship. And it's not at all what those people in Jerusalem thought it was about. To put it in modern language, this text teaches us that basically Jesus is the king. We might call him the shoeshine king. I'll explain. John 13, 1 through 17. It was just before the Passover feast. It was Thursday and Friday was the beginning. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Listen to these words. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. He was the king. He was the superpower. Verse 4, so he got up from the meal. He took off his robe. He took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize what I'm now doing, but you will understand. No, said Peter, no, Lord, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, then not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well, a kind of totality. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath only needs to wash his hands Wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean. They were believers. You are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher. You call me Lord, and that is right, for that is what I am. And now that I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set an example for you that you can do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things... You will be blessed if you do them. Save us, Judas Maccabeus, too. What kind of king is Jesus? He washed their feet. Kings don't wash feet. They don't even wash their own feet. Much less other people's feet. This was exactly what the servant class did. This, this was the lowly thing to do. And, and please understand, they didn't wear Nikes. And they didn't have sidewalks. I mean, the Romans had put in a few things. But by and large, those were dusty and dirty paths. And, 
and the city streets were dirty. And there was not only the dirt, but all the animals that were there and all the things animals leave in the street and all the, the gush and, and muck and everything else that's being picked up. And what did they wear? Do you know? They wore these crude sandals. So to bend down and wash someone's feet, this is a lowly thing to do. You know, I, I, I think if, if we were to try to get a, a, a feel for this, the best I could do for you is to put this in modern language. Let me put it in modern language. That Jesus had dinner with, with his disciples. And after dinner, Jesus put an apron around him and he bent down and he shined every one of their shoes. He shined every one of their shoes. That'd be a little strange. You don't go to people's house. They don't shine your shoes after dinner. We still kind of feel funny about it. Feet, where they've been, and, you know, and that type of thing. And um, kings don't shine people's shoes. I've been listening to a, a brand new book that's come out about Ronald Reagan's negotiation for nuclear a nuclear drawdown with the former Soviet Union. It's a fascinating book. And the, the big breakthrough came when, when Gorbachev, Mikhail Gorbachev, ascended to the, the premiership of the Soviet Union, and, and Ronald Reagan had never met Gorbachev. And so that the, the first meeting that was arranged was, gonna, was to be at a nuclear arms summit in Geneva, Switzerland. And some of you remember this because it's covered with the news. Some of you may even remember some of the... The, the images that I want to share with you. So Ronald Reagan is going to meet Mikhail Gorbachev. Who's going to be the leader? These are the two superpowers. So Mikhail Gorbachev drives up in this huge Russian limousine. And he opens the door and he's got this drab gray overcoat. He looks like a kind of a dumpy Russian KGB guy is what he looks like. Ronald Reagan strides out in Hollywood form. He has no overcoat on. He's got his blue suit and his little handkerchief in his pocket. I mean, he just looks like Hollywood. The, the, uh, Gorbachev goes up the stairs. Ronald Reagan meets him. Ronald Reagan sticks out his hand, puts his arm around Gorbachev, says, let's go this way. Obviously, he's towering over Gorbachev. Obviously, Ronald Reagan visually is in charge of this meeting. So they go in, they close the doors, and they have these closed-door sessions. And you know what Ronald Reagan did, don't you? He took off his Hollywood suit and he put an apron around him. He got down and he shined Gorbachev's shoes. I don't think so. I don't think so because presidents don't shine shoes. Jesus did. He washed their feet. And this is why in verse 8, Peter reacts with such visceral contempt of the idea of the Lord washing his feet. Lord, you will never wash my feet. And, and Jesus says, and this will come back, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. You know, the, the real shoeshine guys, that, and maybe gals too, that uh, do it for a living. You know, you, you've been downtown or maybe in the airport, they got this little box and a chair on it and two little things that stick out you put your feet on you know you sit up to get your shoes shined and stick your feet up there they don't just shine your shoes i never you know i only have my shoes shined by somebody else about three times in my life i'll never forget the first time somebody shined my shoes 
they, they, they got this thing of kind of black-looking water out. And a little wire brush. You know, I just didn't know how much gunk was in the creases of my shoes. And underneath, and they're taking it, and they're scrubbing all the dirt and the gunk out of my shoes. Then, once all the dirt and grime that my feet have been picked up, uh, have been, have, then they make it shine. And, 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 you know, I'll tell you, um, I've had my shoes shine three times. My daddy taught me to shine my own shoes. I'm not real good at it. Don't look at my feet, please. Um, every time that's happened to me, which is, which is seldom, can I just be honest with you? I feel uncomfortable emotionally while people are shining my shoes. I mean, they're all, you know, I'm sitting up there, and they're bent down in front of me, and they're getting all, I, I feel uncomfortable for people to deal in my dirt, you know? And then they're just going crazy on the shoe, and I can feel all this stuff they're doing through my shoe, and it's real labor-intensive, and, you know, I'm just kind of, I'm just, it just made me feel uncomfortable. Well, let me tell you something about Jesus. Jesus did not come to shine us up. He did not come to shine us up. He did not come to make us better. Do you know why Jesus went into Jerusalem? Jesus went into Jerusalem that day, Palm Sunday, specifically for the Passover to specifically be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus came so that he could die on a cross and take the punishment that we deserve before a holy God. He literally shed his blood on a cross, and his blood doesn't make us better. His blood makes us new. His blood gives us life. His blood thoroughly cleanses us from all sin. And there's more crud in mine and your sinful hearts than any shoe you've ever seen. No amount of buffing and shining and, and cleaning that you think you can do to your own heart will make it acceptable to a holy God. That's why Jesus came. I want us to go back to Palm Sunday for a minute. You see the exuberance. They want a political king. Jesus is not that kind of king. I'd like to point out something very obvious to you. If Jesus were just another person to kick out the Romans, guess what? We would not even care about it today we don't our church doesn't celebrate the maccabees kicking out the jews i mean excuse me the, the maccabees kicking out the syrians you know we, he would have if he was just another guerrilla leader and that's what we're so excited about oh oh let me tell you what we're excited about he's our hosanna and he came more than to deal with romans who don't even exist in power anymore. He came to deal with sin. He came to deal with death itself over 2,000 years ago. He's a king riding in to be our Passover lamb. As Jesus himself put it, I came not to be served. I came to serve. And you know the last part? I came to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus humbled himself to serve. Look, Jesus got, he, he didn't just bend down in front of he got under us. He drew our sin down. He got below us. He, he drew our, our sin down upon himself. And then with our sin was lifted up on that cross to deal with the sin. Praise his name. That's Palm Sunday. But finally, is what Jesus the king calls 
his disciples, modern-day disciples as well, those of you who believe what he is calling us to be like. Let's go back to John in verse 12. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put his clothes on and returned to his place and asked this question, Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher, you call me Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. And now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you need to wash one another's feet. I've set an example for you that you also can do what I've done. A student's not greater than the teacher. I'm the teacher, you're the student. A master, a slave is not greater than a master. You're the servant, I'm the master. A messenger is not greater than the one who sent it. You're the messenger, I'm the one who sent. So you need, this is what you need to be about. This will be the sign of what my true kingship looks like in the world. Now, you know, I've noticed some men in airports getting their shoes shined. No, and I don't know what it is about. If you saw me getting my shoes shined in an airport, if I was going for a meeting, you'd see the most uncomfortable look on my face. Not these guys. Uh Uh-uh. Man, they're up on that box. They got their feet up. People are down on their knees serving and working furiously, and they've got this look on the face. That's right. This is the way my life's supposed to be. Uh, This is exactly the way it's supposed to be. Other people serve me. I'm the big man. Look at that guy. Look at that guy serving me. Look at that guy. Look at that lowliness for somebody else to do. I'm, I'm the big man. Look at me on my throne, sitting up on that throne. Two things. First of all, you should not glory in a $5 throne. And maybe it costs more than that. That's what it used to cost. That's exactly what your righteousness, my righteousness, and our pride looks like before a holy Jesus. Got our chest all puffed out. You're on a $5 throne. You should not glory in a $5 throne. But secondly, we should walk, people should walk through life and they should say, oh, it's easy. It's easy to tell who the Christians are. They're the ones on their knees serving. They're the ones who give when other people won't. I love watching the Yakima videos just in, in regard to that. And it might even say something like this. I think I want to know more about their Jesus. You see, this is the way the reign of the Shushan king spreads by people stooping down and serving other people and lifting other people up. And dear friends, isn't it true that nothing in this fallen, selfish world impacts us greater than humility and selflessness and serving love. It is so anti-gravity. It's so counterintuitive. It's so not supposed to happen. It is so the heart of Jesus' kingdom. It's beautiful. And that's why Jesus calls you and me to show the reality of his kingdom, to follow his example of service. Okay, one more time, let's go back to Palm Sunday. Let's stand. I, I got to work this in somehow. And we'll shout our own hosannas. I got to bend down and get my palm frond here.
Because we know who he is, don't we? He's so much worthier than even they thought he was worthy. And so let us participate knowing the the extent of his kingdom. Let us do that. So say after me. Well, let's get our hands waving, all right? All right, all right. That's enough. A little too much. All right. We're Presbyterians. But I was going to practice. Pope, stop that. Put your hand down. Are you ready? Do you, do you see it? The glory of Jesus, the servant king. Let's say it after me. Hosanna. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. That is the son. You don't say this. That is the son of God. That is the son of God lauded and cheered. That is the son of God with a basin and a towel who has served you. That, dear people, and you've got to be here Friday, that is the Son of God dying for our sins. Let's pray. Lord, you are beautiful. You are more gracious, more merciful, utterly surprising in your condescension you would be mindful of us, that you would actually come from heaven and live and die and rise again. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for who you actually were as you came down amidst the cheers. If you've never put your trust in Christ and you'd like to come to this King who serves and will love you forever, then just pray with me. Lord, I see it. I've been trying to do my own salvation, my own religion. I've, been, I've, I've really tried to figure it out, but I see it, that you've done it all for me in Christ. And I want to turn from everything I've called religion, everything I've called Christianity, and I want to put my trust, Jesus, in what you have done on the cross and in the empty tomb. Lord, thank you for many of us who've known you and walked with you, that even through your, your living and active word this morning, you reminded us of the true nature of your kingship as servant king, Lord, would you help all of us to think, not only today, but in the coming days, this holy week, to consider whether we serve and therefore represent your kingdom well. And God, would you give us that heart, not just so that we would align with you, but Jesus, we remember your words. You will be blessed if you do them. Bring joy, even as your kingship goes forward here in Jackson, in the greater Jackson area, through your church. We pray through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.